following message is distributed by the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Good, because he's holy. And in the last few weeks we've been in Colossians and it's, it's been focusing on Christ and how Christ had the fullness of the deity in him. So he is just as holy, just as righteous, just as pure. And then we as followers of him are called to be imitators of this Christ. We must take off our worldly, sinful self for a new one. We must turn our focus from this world instead seeking after the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray for this day, for this, this passage, these people, Lord. That in your infinite wisdom you have set up for me to speak today on this passage and for them to hear what it is that you want to be revealed today. Lord, help us to be prepared. Help us to be attentive listeners. Lord, when you send your word out, it will not return empty. That is my prayer for this, this morning. But I just pray that I can speak your truth clearly and communicate it well. I pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to give you a reminder that Pastor Steve still is the senior pastor here. I know he's been gone for a little while. Um, but he's coming back. If not, I have a new office, and you can come. Um, so we're continuing in, in Colossians in chapter uh, three. I'm going to be looking at verses five through eleven. Um, <clears throat> and th- this passage is. It's kind of be broken up a little bit today. We're kind of dealing with the first half of the passage. And, and then the next time we get back into Colossians, we'll deal with the second half. And I have the privilege of dealing with the section when Paul deals with all the negative things. So um, it's kind of fun as a pastor to prepare for these, these types of talks. I was sharing with Kim the other day that... Uh, as I'm getting ready to prepare to speak on these things, often the biggest challenge for me is like, well, how am I doing with this sin? And where am I struggling with this? And uh, this Colossians passage is focusing on, on the sanctification process that we move through as, as believers. And, and there's something I want to touch on just so that you know kind of where I stand on this as we progress through this, this text today, dealing with sanctification. Um, if you are a believer... You, you have come to know the Lord as your personal Savior. You are sanctified. Colossians, 
uh, not Colossians, 1 Corinthians 1.3 says, Christ has become our wisdom, our righteousness, and sanctification. But, even though we are sanctified, we're still going through the process of sanctification. Hebrews 12.14 tells us to pursue sanctification because without that, no man can come before God. Right, so this is one of those like like where again Paul again says, you know, you're saved, but you're supposed to work out your salvation in fear and trembling. You're sanctified. When God was looking at us, He's looking at us through Christ and sees us as sanctified, but we are still going through the process. None of us have been fully glorified yet. And until that process and that time happens when we are in the presence of God in heaven as new glorified creatures. We need to continue through this process of sanctification. So I decided to do something a little different. I had a conversation last night and someone asked me, what are your points? What are your observations? Um, I'm not doing any observations. Well, they are observations, but I'm going to kind of throw out some of the questions that I ask myself as I go through this passage. Sometimes, and, and these are questions that you should maybe ask yourself on a regular basis, especially when you're going through scripture reading and studying. I ask myself, am I struggling with this? What's this passage say about God? What's this passage say about me or about man? What does Christ want me to do with this? So let's look at the passage here, and then I'll throw out some questions for you. Colossians 3, 5 is where we'll start. Therefore... Let me point something out here first. When you hit the word therefore or since, you need to look back and understand what was being said prior to that. And my quick, a little refresher is that you've died to elementary principles, that you've been risen with the Christ, that your mind should be set on things above, that your life is hidden in Christ. Because of all these things, therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, to impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God came upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to the true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slaves and free men. But Christ is all and in all. When I throw out these questions, or when I have a point, what I want you to do, and, and maybe right now you need to take a minute and pray for this, that God will show you where you truly stand. Don't think about where your husband or your wife is and how they're struggling with this thing, or maybe your friend who you're sitting next to. 
What is God saying to you as we read through this passage? What is God challenging you as we study this? So yes, Paul has two lists basically of of some sins and some issues that he needs to make sure that they have fully taken off. And now that they are Christians. So verses 5 through 9 is where he lists these. And he starts out with, with immorality. Some texts say sexual immorality, fornication, whatever the case is. Immorality. Impurity, whether in thought or deed. Passion. Now, passion can be a good thing. For, for, for uh, those of you who are members here, you might be familiar with our mission statement, which is to spread a passion for the supremacy of Christ in all things. But yet passion can become distorted. Unchecked, uncontrolled passion tends to not drive us to Christ. It tends to lead us away from Him as we follow after other desires. Evil desires. I don't think I need to define that one for you. I think you're okay with that. And greed, which leads to idolatry. So I, I like the text. Uh, the New American uses greed, but I think the ESV says, um, what's the word? Covetousness, which I think is a better actual word to put in there because we tend to associate greed with money. And, and obviously we can make money our idol, but there are so many more things that we covet or that we're greedy for that we turn into idols. So these are some pretty heavy things here, which I I know not many of us in this body here have ever struggled with. And, you know, so we could kind of move past these ones and and get on to other things. But Paul is telling the Christian readers that they once walked in them. And not only that they walked in them, but that they were literally living in them. You can make a connection a little bit earlier in the book of Colossians where he says that you should have a walk that is worthy of the Lord that you're serving. So he's he's saying this is what you should be doing. And now here in chapter three saying this is what you were doing. Or maybe some of you still are trying to do it. Now, some of us know what it's like to be suffocated by trying to take part in some of these things. You're constantly trying to grasp for, for satisfaction or fulfillment, whether it's in uh, sexual pleasures, whether it's in having more things, and they just kind of slip through your fingers, leaving you unsatisfied or waiting for the next bigger and better thing to come across. Now, the next list might not seem as bad, and if that's your thought, like, oh, these things aren't as bad... I come to the one sentence phrase that I repeat to my students. You are worse than you could ever imagine. Because these things are just as evil. These things that he, that he talks about in, in this next list are anger and wrath and malice and slander and abusive speech and lying. And he's talking to Christians. Words are hugely important. Right? If you, if you want a good chapter to look at of words and their importance, check out James chapter 3. I to say this to my kids, 
You know, that, that old saying, sticks and stones may break your bones, but names will never harm you. That's a load of garbage. I've been more hurt by what people have said than someone has ever physically hurt me. And I've been hurt a lot of times physically. And, and, and they cut and they just break down. And, and, and I know what it's like to wrestle with these things because I'm an angry person. When I was younger, I used to just all of a sudden just like, it spilled out. And man, you hoped and prayed that you weren't there. I had a temper that was out of control. And I lived in a family that sarcasm and cutting was just the form of communication. And so that continued on and my wife still sometimes happens to be around and deal with some of that when when I lose control. Um, and Christians have become masters of this. Christians maybe have moved away like we can say, well, we don't, we don't deal with sexual immorality and, and I'm not greedy. I don't make enough money to be greedy, so I'm not greedy, you know, and, and all these things. But, but we become masters of this because we might not use obscene words and we might we might not use some of the really bad things, but yet we can cut down our brothers and sisters in the body just as easy. You know, the perfect example is, let's pray for so-and-so. They're really struggling with this. Does everybody know that? You know, you're not really wanting them to be prayed for. You're wanting everybody to know the sin that they're struggling with. And, and, and this passage as a whole is dealing with community and that idea of bringing us together. It's one of the reasons why he's saying you need to put these things off because you're not part of this world anymore. You're now part of my body, my kingdom. He talks about unity at the end of the passage in, in chapter 11 between Greeks and Jews and barbarians. If you don't know what a Scythian is, they're basically like... If you were a barbarian, you thought they were the barbarians. That's how crazy these people were, right? They came from the area of Russia and stuff. They were like the lowest of the lowest of the barbarians. And, 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 and you still have these people coming to know the Lord. And then there was people who said, well, I'm a Jew. I'm a better Christian. Or I'm a, you know, I'm a Greek. I'm educated at least. I know how to read. You know, and then you have everybody below. But what God is saying here is you need to stop the malice talk. You need to stop the wrath that you have or the anger against these groups because of something they might have done. The church is a fellowship not only with believers, but with the Lord Almighty. And how can we have fellowship if there's animosity? So go and repent if you have animosity. If you're doing these things, you might come up to me and say, you know, Kurt, you don't understand. I can't really forgive them because you don't really understand what they said to me or what they said about me. Or you, you don't you don't really understand what they did. And I'm just so angry and I don't know what to do about it. I can't forgive them. And all I can say is just enough. Enough already. Why is your heart so set against forgiveness? So that's my first question. 
Who do we, me included here, need to forgive as the Lord forgave us? You can't put something off if you're constantly trying to grab it and and lug it along. I can't put my anger or annoyance over something if I never want to let it go. When we were still sinners, God forgave us. Before I knew His name and loved Him, He died as my atonement. We don't have to wait for the person to come and say, can you forgive me for this? Before we go to them and say, you know what? I forgive you. That's hard. Because often the only times we say I forgive you is after they come up and say, hey, I'm really sorry for this. And you say I forgive you and then you walk over here and like, I should have told them this. Or pointed out why I'm so mad at them. That's not forgiveness. You just said yes and totally lied over there. Which, by the way, he tells us in the passage that we should stop doing that. It's the second question. Knocking through these already. What do you need to put to death? Habitual sin must be cut out before you kill, before it kills us. Alright, plain and simple, the just punishment for all sins, whether they're the little ones, like lying, oh, it's just the white lie, or the big ones, or the ones we think are big, it's the same punishment. It's death. So these sins must be cut out. If we continue to live in them, what often happens is that we begin to justify our sins and say, it's okay to do this, and it's alright. It's really not that bad, you don't understand. If you fully knew what was really happening, you would see why it's okay for me to do this. We're being challenged to lay aside our old self or, 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 or our old man and to put on a new man or a new self. Now, I want you to remember the old man, new man thing because we're going to touch on that a little bit later. But he's saying, basically, take this off, lay it aside. It's actually a little more harsher than that. It's literally saying like, peel it off and kill it. Right? I, I think that, that something that needs to be remembered here is, is the reason why we're supposed to take these things off and put on this new man because this new man is being renewed in the truth. The truth is key to understanding this. There's a lot of things that we think are true or real or really important but aren't at all. But we don't want to give it up because we love our sin. Admit it. Just admit it. It's fun. It's nice. It's easier to do sometimes. We love our sin. We don't want to give up things. I stuck this in here. Here's an old shirt I have. My wife's going to get a kick out of this. This shirt is stretched out. I've used it for wrestling. I have holes in both of my sleeves. If you look at it closely, even after multiple washings, there's some blood stains on it. Um, but I love that shirt. Every guy in this room has one of those shirts, I think. And your wife's like, please don't wear that when company comes over. 
But we, we, we love it. It's, it's like I put it on, I'm like, ah, this is comfort. But that's like sin right there. It's holy. It's, it's messed up. It's, it's even maybe bloody like that. Sure it is. Now, we might not walk in these sins anymore because we are now saved. But just like that shirt, there's an every so often on a Saturday afternoon after I've showered, after mowing the lawn or whatever, I just want to put that back on. And we're the same way with our sins. Like, I don't walk in my sin, but I'm going to walk over here and maybe peek in and see how it's doing. Hey, sin, how you doing today? Only have a few minutes. And that's often what we're doing here. But, but Paul is, is saying to us, he's saying, look, you need to put these things aside. In verse 8 he says, now you also put them all aside. Not just some of them, not just the easy ones. But you put them all aside. And then in verse 9 and 10 he says, Since you laid them aside with the old self, with its evil practices, and have put on a new self. There's something I want to point out here. The term you. There is a place for Christian discipline. There is a place for self-control, which is one of the fruits of the Spirit. As we go through the sanctification process, there's a place for discipline. I'm not denying God's grace. I'm not denying that He can't, you know, instantly come on you. The second that you become a Christian and take those desires away, I mean, my, my father-in-law was an alcoholic prior to knowing the Lord. The day he became a Christian, never drank again. Didn't have the desire. Some of my really good friends, the two in particular that I'm thinking of back in Jersey, struggled daily with drug and alcohol addictions, and they're saved. God is just as much their God as He is my father-in-law's. Grace is working in their life just as much. They need self-control. They need to be careful where they put themselves, who they hang out with. I've had people come up to me, students or older people, say, Kurt, I prayed and prayed and prayed and I don't know what to do. Tell me how to work this out with God because my girlfriend and I, we just continue to fall into sin. What should I do? My answer is keep your clothes on. Don't hang out in quiet, lonely, intimate, cuddly, let's watch romantic movie by ourselves situations because what you're doing is you're just setting yourself up there. Maybe be the bigger man. And say, you know what, I think we need to end this relationship because I don't want to continue leading you into sexual sin and temptation. Or I have other people come up to me and they say, you know, Kurt, I just really want stuff and I don't always have money for it and I just charge it because credit cards are amazing. It's like maple leaf money over here somewhere. And then you could be like my college roommate who never paid anything because as soon as that was due, he just put it on a different credit card and... They just cycled around in circles and never paid for anything. And what do I do? How do I get out of it? Well, if you don't have the money, don't buy it. Or really tell me what need you buying this, whatever it is, is meeting. 
Or as soon as the next thing comes out, are you going to be done with this? And then desire and crave and have a passion to do whatever it takes to get the next best thing? Or again, the the cutting words. Kurt, you don't understand what they said to me. I'm just so angry. I don't even know what to say to them. And my reply is, why are you saying it to everybody else then? Keep your mouth closed. There's something going on there and you're so focused on whatever they did to you that you're not even seeing what's going on in your own life. Your own sin. The goal of Christianity is not to see how far we can come to this edge here before we fall off. And I know that some people are like, well, you know, Kurt, I I work with non-believers and obviously non-believers need to know who the Lord is and how am I supposed to share with non-believers if, you know, they're doing these things? Well, maybe you need to take a time of not doing interactions with people when you're struggling in that same sin. If you have a problem with drinking, going to evangelize at the local pub probably isn't the best place. Until you're able to take this sin off and lay it aside, stay away. Because you'll have a much better witness when you're able to overcome that sin than saying, hey, I hung out with these people. Oh, by the way, I happened to fall back into this sin while I was hanging out with them. The root of why we go back to sin is really we don't want to give it up. It's that simple. We go back to it because we don't want to give it up. That's why I don't want to throw that shirt away. It's my favorite shirt. What do you need to take off and put to death? You can't remove something halfway. If I unbutton this shirt and kind of sling one arm out of it, am I still wearing it? Yes. And that's what we try to do with sin. We try to say, well, I, I'll just put it in this little area and maybe no one will see that over there. But that's just not how it works. You're still wearing it. You need to remove the concrete shoes that are causing you to sink and drown. So, what do you need to take off? You got that in your head? Jot it down in your notes? Might be a couple things. So let's fast forward a little bit. Here we are. You've taken it off. God doesn't want you standing there naked in your birthday suit because that's not much of a suit at all. He's telling you, I'm not just saying take off these sinful things, but put something on. Something way better than what you ever had before. If what you're trying to put on is fake, false practices, or to use my term from 
two weeks ago, aesthetic piety. That's like you're putting on mesh undergarments, which really don't do anything at all. If you don't know what the correct answer is or what you should be putting on, i got a refresher for you. Let's just walk through a few things here. All out of the same book. We'll keep it nice and easy. Colossians 2.7 Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him. A few more verses. Colossians 2.10 In Him you have been made complete. 2.12 Having been buried with Him in baptism in which you were also raised up with Him. Colossians 2.13 He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us of all our transgressions. Colossians 3.3 You have died and your life is hidden with Christ. 3.4 When Christ, who is our life, our life, I'm sorry, let me say that one more time. Life. Who is our life? That's where you're supposed to respond. (laughs) Yay! Alright, our life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with who? Christ! Him! But what am I supposed to put on, Kurt? I can't remember. You have absolutely no glory to clothe yourself in. And I praise God every day that in His mercy He's willing to clothe me in that glory. My dad, Barry Gelman, nice Jewish name, was a scuba diver for our fire department. Um... I grew up just north of New York City, so we had in our county, uh, one whole side of the county was the Hudson River, and then we had lakes and other rivers and things like that. So he had the job of going in when people would drive off bridges or, you know, boating accidents or things like that. So he would dive in, and best case scenario, he got there and was able to help them, and worst case scenario, he was swimming back to shore, dead bodies. Um, but he had this green coat that I loved as a kid. And on the back, it had the, the big fire department, you know, with the axe and the helmet on it, the, you know, the little clover on it. And then it had a patch, you know, saying that he was a diver and that he was certified in this and all these other things and his name was on it, Barry and, and stuff. And, and I loved this coat as a kid. I loved to put it on. It, it, it was big. It was heavy. Uh, you know, it gets cold where I'm from. And that's even before you jump into water. So when he would jump out, he would put on this thing, and, and, and I just loved to wear it. it. I mean, it had that hint of dad odor. And, and I just thought it was the coolest, the coolest coat ever. And I had, I had plenty of coats, but this one was my dad's, and I just thought it looked cool. And I wanted to wear it all the time. I remember when they moved um, to South Carolina. They live on the beach now and enjoy the warm weather. I asked him, can I have that coat? But they already gave it away to somebody else. But when I would put this coat on and go play in the snow or, or just go out, I just felt safe. 
And Christ is kind of like that coat. He's huge. He'll engulf you. He'll keep you hidden and comfortable. He'll give you strength and grace when you're confronted with sin. And, and, And unlike the patches on my dad's coat, Christ's coat, his patches let you know what he can do, what he has done, where you're from. The problem that we have is we often don't think of Christ as He truly is. We, we, we often have a distorted view of Him and think that He, he hasn't done what He has done. Or he, he isn't strong enough to do this one. He could do those other things, but not this one. And often we think, if I'm going to clothe myself in Christ, I'm giving up this heavy pea coat for some worn out, thin, overwashed, out of style, hideous shirt. But that's not Christ. We, we, we have the wrong picture of Christ, and that's why we don't want to clothe ourselves in Christ. We're not the ones giving up the pea coat. The problem is, we think we are. But really, we're the ones in the worn out, holy, torn up, out of style, hideous shirt. And we're thinking that's going to clothe us and keep us safe. The gospel reveals all this stuff to us. The gospel shows us that we're sinners. The gospel points out that we're not only sinners, but we have absolutely no hope in ourselves to overcome sin. It shows us that we love ourselves. It teaches us that God became flesh to redeem us, to redeem his enemies, like that one song sang. Before you came to know the Lord, you were not friendly to him. You were his enemy. Though Christ was tempted, he never succumbed. He was the perfection, crucified as my propitiation for my sins. My sins and yours as well. He's risen and seated at the right hand of the Father because all that He has done has been completed and is finished. Through Christ I'm forgiven and made righteous. Through Him I am brought into a whole real life. Sounds like a lot better than that holy ripped up shirt that I'm currently trying to wear. But yet I'm arguing with God. In Galatians 2.20, this is a great passage. Make sure you jot this one down. Paul again, he's saying, I have been crucified with Christ that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And that life which I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave up Himself for me. Paul is basically saying, I'm taking off my old self, my old self, my old man. My old man is associated with the first Adam, the old man. The first Adam through whom, what did we get? Not much besides sin and guilt. And he's saying, I'm going to take off my old self and I'm going to put on a new self, a new man. And that man is Christ who is the second Adam, the one who fulfilled the law fully. Because you can't do it. 
my dad's coat again, this green coat with the patches on it. When he had that on and he showed up at the scene of an accident, no one ever asked him, sorry, sir, you can't be here. He just waltzed in. I mean, it probably also helped that he had a scuba gear and stuff like that. But he had this stuff that said, look, I belong here. If you show up with the wrong coat, you're going to have some pretty big firemen stopping you from coming in there. The same thing could be said here. If you're clothing yourself not in Christ, you're not going to get through things as easily. If at all. If you're not clothing yourself in Christ, when it comes to the final destination, which is judgment before Him, it will not go well with you. You need to be willing to surrender your whole life if you're going to put on clothes. Right? You, can't, you can't say, hey, I'm wearing this outfit, but at the same time I'm going to try to throw on something else. Because you're still clothed in the same dirty clothes you had before. If you're going to put on life, you need to put on Christ. Because it is in Christ that life is found. It's not found in anything else. If you have found it in something else, please, please come talk to me. You need to surrender your life fully. Not just this little part on Sunday or this other part over here or when I'm in class with my friends. Your entire life needs to be surrendered to you. John Piper has this a, a quote that it's just a great quote. And he, he's saying, God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in Him. If you're really taking off death and sin and the old man and putting on Christ, you will find satisfaction in Him. You will find fulfillment in Him. And not only that, you will be the best example of who God is. Because if you're not satisfied in Him, how are you trying to glorify Him? Why would you waste your time glorifying Him if you're not satisfied in Him? Do me a favor, and this might be blunt, and if it is, come and talk to me, email me, whatever. If you're not satisfied in Him, please, please, please stop pretending that you are. Be honest. Just walk in and say, you know what, I don't know about God, so I'm going to stop pretending like I know everything about Him and that He's comforting me and He's my peace and He's my, He's, He's my true, you know, whole being is, is finding joy and hope in Him. If He's not, don't pretend He is. Because you're really confusing everybody else who's coming into the church. Or you're really confusing the rest of the world. And then I have people when I'm going grocery shopping and they find out that I'm a pastor and they're like, hold on, i got to talk to you about Christians. And I say, well, that's not a Christian, so let's talk about non-Christians because that's really what you're talking about. Clothe yourself in Christ because there's no halfway thing. So what are you putting on? 
Are you putting on something that's killing you? Or are you putting on life? It's that simple. It, it really is. Because when, 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 when the body of God is dressed in Christ and His beautiful flowing gown, I, just, I think of that, that passage where it talks about the, 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 the train of His robes filled the tabernacle, filled the Holy of the Holies. And they're awed by the train Right? Now, I realize I'm not a female, but I think trains are, are, are a waste of time. People just step on them and then your whole dress is ripped and, and stuff like that. Like, you came in. We don't need to wait for you to keep coming in. Just, just come in. <laughs> but God is saying here, you know, this vision is just the train of His robe. And He's saying that He wants to clothe me, not in a robe, but in His Son. I don't know about you. But look at your life. Which clothes would you prefer? The ones that you have on or the ones that you you don't want to fully take off here? Or Christ? When Christ is our dress and our body is filled with people who are wearing this, this, this outfit of life, Things change. Desires are reconfigured. Community can be found when even you're different from me in so many ways except for Christ, I can be united to you. When we're clothed in Christ, we see the world completely different. We see it better because we see the world for really what it is. It's fallen. And it's all going to fall away eventually. But when we're not clothed with Christ, we see the world as some false reality. As this is the, 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 the end of it all. This is what's really important. When we're freed from evil desires, we're freed to live life and not just survive it. How many people here are tired of just trying to survive life? Put it bluntly, if you want to stop surviving life, get naked and put on some better clothes. Matthew Henry wrote, when the affection is to the one, to the God, when, when affection is to the one, it will weaken and abate affection to the other. But that same thing can be reversed. If your affection is towards some sin or some desire, your affection towards God will diminish as well. My prayer is that you will put off death and put on life. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message recorded at the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcevfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 
6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.